It happened over 15 years ago, and the memory is still pretty fresh. I'd gone to the clinic, I think, to get some vaccinations for a mission trip, probably to family camp in Mexico. And the doc looked at my medical forms and said something like, uh, no wife and kids, I guess, uh, guess you're all on your own. And I don't know, I, I sort of responded something like, yeah, that's, that sounds about right. Some of you may be in the same spot, where you're looking around going, who's got my back? Who's here for me when times get tough? Who can advise me when I've got questions or encourage me when I want to throw in the towel? Who are my family? Who are my people? The Bible talks about this a lot. You know, from Adam and his family to Abraham and his family, and then all the families that come from Abraham's line, all the way to Jesus who says, my family, my people are those who obey God. Family's pretty important to God. I think that's why he uses the idea of family to describe the church. And really, it's a perfect descriptor. Because as I was driving back from the clinic that day, I realized something. I'm not alone. I'm not all on my own. Even if my physical family were gone tomorrow, God has surrounded me with amazing spiritual fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters in Christ. And you guys are the ones who cheer me and push me forward. You challenge me and remind me what it looks like to live by faith. You all are God's gift to me. The church matters because it's where we find our people. Where all of us mixed up and messed up folks learn to love God and love each other. Where we become family. It's very good. Very good. Very good. Can you hear me? There we go. Very good, Tim. Thank you for allowing me to be here today. You, you are always welcome, Alvin Burrow. Appreciate it. Okay, I'm thinking of smart things to say, and it's just like, best just, just leave it, just leave it alone. Hey, I got a question for you. I have two questions for you. What are you worth? What's your value? How do you measure your worth and value? If you measure it with your 401k and your uh, other monetary measurements, then uh, kind of bad news for you. You're not as worth, worth as much as you once were, I guess. Hey, do you have that graphic up there, Mason? It's just for fun. There we go, see? I thought it was funny. You're my family. You don't have to laugh. That's okay. <laughs> so have you ever heard, maybe you heard when you were a kid, uh, that you were worth $1.98? Anybody ever heard that? It's like uh, all the, the chemicals in your body, uh, phosphorus, potassium, various things, if they were extracted out of your body, then you're worth about $1.98. And so... I heard that a lot as a kid, but I read an article the other day that's really good news. It says, now from a chemical view, you are worth $17. So we're really, yeah, inflation, I guess, is really good. Uh, so it's an issue. But the article was really about, hey, you shouldn't measure yourself in such a poor way. You should consider your value based on the market value of your body parts and complex molecules. Did you know there's a black market for body parts out there? Okay, you really shouldn't Google this stuff, but I did. And, and I found out that uh, I could sell my heart for a million bucks. Probably wouldn't be a good idea, but I could, and I could sell my lungs for a half a million. I could sell my kidneys for a quarter million. 
And we're a little bit surprised. Eyeballs are only going for $1,500. Bucks. I, don't, I don't know why they're so cheap. But it said if you added up all the things in your body of value, you would have $45 million. But, of course, you'd be dead if you sold everything, so it's just not, not worth it, really. You know, in our best moments of clarity and understanding life, most of us don't think of our value in terms of body parts or even retirement funds. Uh, I think we, we start thinking about our, our worth and our value, and they, they kind of center around a question, and the question is, do I matter? Do I have any significance? And so we're all looking for significance. We want to value, we want to be valuable, and, and we struggle with it sometimes, and sometimes we feel like we have nothing of value or worth to offer anybody in this world, and, and we look around, and we look at how other people just seem to have it all together, and we just feel really small and insignificant, and, and we're just still searching. We want, we want that significance. We want to know that we matter and, and that we have some importance and some value. All of this is related to our identity. Who am I? Who are you? How, how do you determine on what do you base your identity? I think a lot of us base our identity on a formula something like this. Do we have it up there? Our self-worth or identity is our performance and other people's opinions of me. So we all live this way to some degree, and it's, it's this. It's like, I am who, what I do, my achievements, my accomplishments, things I've done in the past, things I'm doing and things I will do and, and I want you to know about, and then I want you to think a certain way about me. And so you see, you see this a lot in social media, and, and you see a problem with it. It really leads into the, what's called a performance trap. And in other words, I have to perform up to a certain level of things in my mind to feel good about myself, and I have to perform in a certain way to make you think about me in a certain way that will be favorable. And so it, it leads to all kinds of problems. It leads to living a, a lie, basically. And so if we don't live up to what we thought we should live up to, and if we don't get the response from other people that we think we should, then we can feel like that we have failed, and it can get deeper than that. We may feel like we're a failure. We may feel like we're a loser. We may feel like we're just not enough. I just can't, I can't compete, so I'm just not, I'm just not worth much. I'm not very valuable. And this, this kind of thinking about identity then carries over into the church. It carries over into what we think about the church. It, it carries over into what we think about our role in the church. Well, today, we're going to talk about God's design for the church. This is our second sermon in the series, Church Matters. And we're going to think about God's design by thinking through what God says. I love the song, and Sean and I did not talk this week. So it's beautiful, beautiful God thing. We're going to talk about what God says about our identity, talk about our value from God's standpoint, our worth, and the role that we play in his plan. Many years ago, I struggled with my identity like most of us do. I wondered if I really had anything to offer this world, value, whatever. Honestly, sometimes there's still days it's like, really? Do I have anything of value to offer? 
Okay, thanks, Tim. I need that. But really, it's like, ah, stuff happens, and you're just like, oh, am I worth anything? And my change, my thinking really changed when I started reading Henry Nouwen. He's a famous theologian. He's been dead for a while, but this, just a really easy uh, guy to read. And I had fallen into performance trap that I had to do certain things. I had to accomplish. I had to achieve. I had to climb, and I had to strive, and, and, and then you would think better about me. And so I became a human doing, a human doing instead of a human being. But when I started reading now and I started thinking about myself in a different way, he opened my eyes to seeing myself and my identity in a new way. He made and he still makes the most compelling case from Scripture that we are beloved children of God. If you follow Christ, then you're a beloved daughter of God. Think about that. You're a beloved son of God. And so my identity, as we just sang, my identity at its very core, and I, I get up every morning, I have a, a series of things that I say and pray, and one of them is this, and it's my core identity. I say every day, I am a beloved son of God. Because I need to remember it. Because that's the foundation of my life. It's what governs and, and guides me in everything I do. And it helps me understand my relationship and my role with God. It helps me understand my role in relationship with you. My role in relationship with the church. And my role in relationship with the world. So this morning we have a very great text from Ephesians 1. We're going to jump around Ephesians a little bit. But the prayer that Paul prays in Ephesians 1, Ephesians 1 is for them, but it's also for us. And as, as we think through his prayer, you're going to see your identity. You're going to see your worth. You're going to see your importance and value and the absolute importance of the church. The church kind of gets a bad name from time to time. But, but listen to what he says in this prayer, Ephesians 1, 15 through 18. Ever since I heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus... And your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you may grow in your knowledge of God. I pray your hearts will be flooded with light. So you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people, who are his rich and glorious inheritance. His rich, glorious inheritance. That's you. That's us. And, and that's pretty amazing. And I, I think it's true the other way, too, that he is our rich and glorious inheritance. And it's a, an idea that allows us to, to realize that we have a very secure future, in the presence of God that comes back into the present that allows us to have confident hope, which is a, a confident expectation that everything's going to be okay in the end. And so Paul's prayer is, listen, I want you to see that. I want you to believe it. I want you to embrace it. I want you to grow in it. And, and it's all based on what he says right before it in chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. And we don't have time to read it all, but I do have some highlights here on the screen. Verse 4, 
God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing himself, bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. Wow, that's really good stuff. In Christ, you see, you are a beloved child of God, a son, a daughter. You have been chosen. You have been purchased. You have been adopted. You are enjoyed. You are empowered by the Spirit of God. Zephaniah 3.17 says that God rejoices over you with joyful songs. God sings about you. He's not mad at you. You are perfect in his eyes if you're in Christ. You're not a loser. You're not a failure. You're not any of those things that Satan just loves to whisper in her ear. You're not that. You're not that. We interrupted Paul's prayer. Sorry about that, Paul. Let's let him finish. Verses 19 through 23 of chapter 1. I also pray that you understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. Now, listen to this. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. We have resurrection power. You have resurrection power. I have it. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And we have been placed in the church, which is the body of Christ. The church matters. It matters a whole bunch. The church is described in various ways. It's a family. Tim did a great job of illustrating what the church as a family is like. It's described as a building. It's described as a temple. It's described as a bride and, and some other things. But today I want to think mostly about the church as the body of Christ. The church is called the body of Christ several times in Scripture, so it's important. And the body of Christ, like our bodies, is made up of individual parts. And each part, each member, is important. Remember, you are a beloved, precious child of God. Precious in his sight. In Ephesians 2, verse 10, after Paul talks about grace and, and our response, he says, listen, you are God's workmanship. You are his handiwork. You are his masterpiece, depending on how you translate that Greek word. 
One of those three ways and even more. But the Greek word behind it's interesting because it's the word poema, which it's the word from which we get poem. And so I could say that you are a precious poem. You as an individual and I, we are works of art. We are masterpieces created and crafted by the creator himself. Don't take a low view of yourself. You are incredibly valuable, but here's the thing. Your value increases a whole bunch when you are connected to the church. When we are connected with the church, we become the body of Christ. We are baptized into the body of Christ, according to 1 Corinthians 12, 13. In Ephesians 2 and Ephesians 4, Paul kind of fleshes this out a little bit more. He's talking about us being connected with each other and in the church. And in, in chapter 2, he talks about each of us being individual stones or blocks, and then we are being carefully joined together, he says, in Christ. And when we are carefully joined together, we become this structure in which the Spirit of God dwells. So he says a very valuable thing. And he, he's referring back to ancient masonry, where a mason would take a stone and and we should know about this around here, take a, a stone and get it just like he wanted it. And then he would drill a hole in one side and, and put a dowel rod in there, drill a hole in another block, and, and then he would scoot the blocks together, and the two would become one, and then two would become four, and, and, and eventually have this beautiful temple. He says that's what it's like for you as individuals who are precious and beloved by God when you are joined together, you become a whole lot more than you were. You're valuable as an individual, but your value just increases a whole bunch when you're connected. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul uses the exact same Greek word and concept of joining together when he talks about the body. He says in Ephesians 4.16, he says, He makes the whole body fit together perfectly the same Greek word. And as each part does its own special work, it helps other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. The idea is uh, the German idea of gestalt, where the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. So in a building context, you might have a pile of sand, a pile of gravel, and a pile of cement, and and you have to buy all of them. They have value in and of themselves. But when you mix them together, You have something greater. And the same is true for the body. You are valuable, precious, and holy in the sight of God as an individual, but he wants us to be connected to each other because our value to him just grows just out of this world in a sense. So the church is vital in the plan of God. It's his way, I believe, of demonstrating what God's love can do and should do, and it's way of communicating his message to lost and dying world. Paul says this in Ephesians 3, verse 10, he says his intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, and I would say, and everywhere else. This is God's plan. We say, oh, it's kind of shaky. Well, God puts a lot of faith in us, and he, and he gives us a lot of responsibility. Sherwood Oaks, we are people 
helping people go generations of Christ-led influencers. And we have a three-pronged strategy for living out our mission and our values as the body of Christ. And we want everyone to be involved in all three of these things. Worship gatherings are extremely important at Sherwood Oaks because we believe this is a time when the individual stones come together. It's a time when we can visibly see each other and we we meet God in a special way as a corporate body of Christ. And so we want to come together to have an encounter with God that's transformative, that we leave here today a little bit better, a little bit different because we've encountered God through the music and through communion and through the word and those sorts of things. We want people to be connected in groups. Following Jesus is not a solo adventure. We are meant for community. We're meant to be connected. So we have all kinds of opportunities through men's, women's, life groups. Just find your people. Find two or three at least and and be connected for accountability, for learning, and, and all those sorts of things. And then serve teams. Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve. And so the body of Christ is the same way. And, and Tim can tell you all the different opportunities that we have here to serve through the church. You know, around Christmas time, which is coming soon... You responded to that earlier. Are you surprised it's coming soon? You just don't want to think about it, do you? But it's coming. I don't think Jesus was born in December, but anyway, we talk about it that way. And, and what I like to do around Christmas time is talk about the incarnation, the incarnation of, of Jesus. God taking on a body to show us how he is and to show us how to live. And so the love of God is literally embodied in Jesus. And so we look at Jesus and say, that's what God is like. And we look at Jesus and say, that's how he wants me to live. And we can look at him also and say, that's how the church is supposed to be. Because we're his body now. So we are to look at him and say, we need to do what he did. We need to love as he loved. I think it's fair to say the church is a second incarnation As the body of Christ, we do what Jesus did, living and loved as he lived and loved. We are to do great things. We could talk all week about what we should be and what we should do, but I just summed it up with great things today. We should do great things. And and the first thing is we should live out the great commands. You know what those are? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind. And what's the second one? Love your neighbor yourself. You remember when Jesus was pushed a few times, said, Jesus, what's it all about? And he said, love the Lord your God with all you got and love your neighbors yourself. So he's saying, that's really what it's all about. Now you unpack it, obviously, in lots of different ways, but we as the church are to live out these great commands. And I I believe that it's part of God's plan for his church to see if we really have appropriated appropriately what we have received from God, his love, his mercy, his grace, his forgiveness. Can we take those from God and then extend them to each other? Well, you don't know what those people are like. God forgave you forgave me. And he's saying, hey, can you do that for each other? Can we learn to love each other as God has loved us? Does our love and worship of God transform us enough to get along with each other? Sometimes. Probably most of the time. 
But sometimes we fail. And to me, it's, it's, it's tragic. It's tragic. I uh, told 9.30, I started a spiritual direction certificate that'll take me a year or two and meet with a cohort every two months or so. And at our first meeting in Tennessee um, a few weeks ago. And in that first meeting, we all told our story. There's 12 of us. And we had 30 minutes to tell our story of faith. Every last person, almost everybody with tears, told as a part of their story hurt and pain at the hands of church, church leaders, church members. And it was, it was hard to hear. There were lots of tears sourced in deep pain, and you probably know about it. And so many people walk away and to me, it's just tragic. And yet, I still believe. I still believe this is God's plan. And this is what God wants us to do. And it's his way of us showing the world what it can be like. And so, can I love you and can you love me as messed up and as flawed as we are? Can we really learn to practice the ways of Jesus? Can we really extend what we have received from God? I think this is really part of what God has in mind for the church. So we need to be together, and we need to learn to love each other. From a platform of loving grace and understanding humility, we need to forgive. And we need to repent. And we need to love as we've been loved. Lord, help us all. As the second incarnation, as the body of Christ, we do great things by living out the great commands. But there's a second great thing for us to consider, and that is the great commission. And this is the last there's just two. So when they saw him, Matthew 28, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. As unlikely as it sounds, God has left it up to us to communicate his message. He's left it up to us, the body of Christ, to reach other people with his saving message, empowered and transformed by worship, empowered by the Spirit, empowered by the promised presence of Jesus. We go out and we share the story of Jesus that's situated and contextualized in our own story of salvation and transformation. You don't have to know everything to tell somebody, hey, I see you're struggling, I, I feel your pain, let me tell you how I manage that through Jesus. And I'd like, to, I'd like to help you learn to know Jesus better. And I'll connect you with someone, I don't know everything, but I'll connect you with someone who can really help you. God has a high, high view of the church. You know why? Because he has a high view of you. High view of the church because a high view of you. And we have important, great things to do as a church. I have a saying that I picked up years ago, and it's like this. Remember who you are, and you'll know what to do. Remember who you are, and you'll know what to do. I used to tell my kids that. Remember who you are. <laughs> You're your preacher's kid. You better be happy that. So just remember who you are. That's manipulation, wasn't it? That really wasn't about. Know who you are, and you'll know what to do. 
Your identity, how you see yourself, determines how you live and what you do. In Jesus, we are beloved children of God. That's who God says you are. From this platform of loving acceptance and security, find peace, find joy, find confidence, find your purpose, find your mission. It's all there. And go forth. Go out. Do what you can. There's nothing wrong with accomplishments and achievements. All those are things are, are great as long as they are pointing to God and one way or another. Jesus said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And I think one of the greatest things that you can do is recognize your value. Recognize your value as who you are in Christ as a beloved son, beloved daughter, and then to recognize your value in the church, to recognize your value in the body of Christ so you can do great things. In 1 Corinthians 12, 25 through 27, uh, Eugene Peterson paraphrases it this way, and I love it. He says, the way God designed our bodies is a model for understanding our lives together as a church. Every part depended upon every other part. The parts we mention, the parts we don't, the parts we see, the parts we don't. If one part hurts, every other part is involved in the hurt and in the healing. If one part flourishes, every other part enters into exuberance. You are Christ's body. That's who you are. You must never forget this. Communion is a time of, of remembrance. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And communion reminds us of who we are as we look back and remember Christ's literal body being broken and bloodied because of our sins. Jesus had to die to take care of our sin problem, but he was glad to do so. Because he loves us so much and wanted to see us as sisters and brothers and beloved children of God. Communion reminds us of who we are as we look around the room and we see each other as Christ's body today. We have been joined and placed together just as God wants. Communion reminds us of our purpose and our mission to go and make disciples and to share this wonderful story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Communion reminds us of the hope that we have of a day and a time because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. There'll be no more death, no more crying, no more mourning or pain for all those things will have passed away. So this morning, as you eat the bread and drink the cup, remember who you are. Proclaim your identity as God's beloved. Proclaim you are a part of the body of Christ. Proclaim that you have a mission and a purpose to love and to live as Jesus did. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your powerful, powerful word. And uh, may we hide it in our hearts. And may your spirit always remind us of who we are. God, we want to follow like Jesus. We want to live like he lived and love as he loved. So guide us in that. As we eat this bread this morning, help us to remember the body of Christ broken for us. And as we drink this cup, remember his blood. And may we remember that we've been bought at a great price. And what a glorious, honored position we have. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.